0: Hi, uh, this is Titus Nietzsche-Anderson, and this is the first podcast for uh, SovRumano.com. This is the first podcast for SovRumano. And um, I just wanted to welcome everybody here. I have had um, some personal problems show up. Um, Basically what happened is I have a backpack that contains a gaming laptop and uh, two smartphones, a Kindle Fire, and so on. And what happened is when they were stolen, I lost the ability to log into all of my accounts. So that basically disrupted everything. Uh, Disrupted the business and the flow of the Twitter feed and all of the good works that were being done there for everybody. Um, But I am slowly being able to, I'm slowly being allowed to log back into those accounts and try to regain control over them and so on. So that is the explanation for the absence, for my absence being online for the last 30 days. Uh, Today's date is February 6th, I think, and that happened on December 31st. So that's what's happened. Anyway, um, I try to keep the Silver Monopad podcast different from the one uh, from my personal issues. So I'll just stick with business here. Welcome to the Silver Monopad podcast. Um, The first thing I want to talk about, uh, subject-wise, is the overman. Um, Who he is, what he means. Um, Most people uh, will probably recognize names like Krishna, Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Leonardo da Vinci, Abraham Beethoven. All that cumbersome stuff that you know already. Um, Basically, what they're defined as is man's superior or teacher in the broadest possible measure which is mankind itself that's the largest possible scale that we have to measure on Um, it's also the only um, we're also the only entity that's aware of itself in the known universe which makes us invaluable as long as uh, we are known by ourselves Friedrich Nietzsche uh, became famous for creating his own ideal of an overman or the Übermensch and that was in direct response to religion it was actually in direct response to christianity and their portrayal of jesus christ as something that was frail or something that was pious or um, somebody someone that was humble or someone who was meek maybe in appearance or whatever however he was portrayed Um, so in retaliation to that what he did is he created his own version of the Superman uh, to be an artist at tyranny, uh, to quote him, and what he wanted essentially was an overman or man superior. But he wanted um, something that was a lot more of a, a testosterone and testosterone infused type person, and uh, didn't like the uh, version that the Bible had come up with or how it was adapted by um, priests and nuns and so on at his time. Um, However, if you're familiar with the New Testament, uh, Jesus Christ is actually often violent, and he's also uh, condemnatory. Most sages are. Um, There's a reason for that, and I'll cover that in the second part of this podcast. Um, Although this is the first podcast, it's going to be divided up into three sections. Uh, The first one is the Overman. The second one that we're going to cover is... um, Something that happened to me over the last 30 days, Uh, I'm glad it did happen because it gives me something to talk about that um, other podcasters are not talking about, so I'm not basically doing the same thing that everybody else is. Um, And then the third part will be on um, um, adaptations and um, eschatology for the different religions as well as non-religious people out there. I don't think I'm going to get to do all of those sections this evening. I usually have a lot of people around me um, filming me and photographing me and doing things like that, so sometimes it can be kind of challenging to do, but I will do as much of it as I can. Okay, Um, interestingly, in researching Nietzsche, I found out something that turned out to be personally relevant to me, and that is that... um, Nietzsche believed in eternal recurrence, or the eternal recurrence of things eternal, an eternal number of times over an infinite amount of space. Um, turns out what, uh, what a primitive people don't speak is math. And uh, it's kind of laugh out loud funny. Um, that whole idea of reincarnation is probably not reincarnation. I think what they're trying to... Um, explain is what's commonly known as social complexity theory. Um, it's basically a fractal pattern that you can see in nature, um, but you can also see it in sociology. So, for example, in the Bible, you will have um, you'll have Abraham warning Sodom and Gomorrah uh, to repent, to change her ways, um, because destruction of the earth is coming. And that's a warning to a village. And then um, there's uh, the case of Noah, with Noah's Ark, and he warns people to uh, prepare for a flood that's coming, get in the ark with me, we're going to get out of here, because the land has become so corrupt and so disgusting that God has decided that he wants to destroy it and start all over again. Um, and there's one or two more instances of that happening in the Old Testament. It happens on a smaller scale, then it happens on a broader scale. and. Um, the New Testament with Jesus Christ is the same issue all over again. So it's basically like a Fibonacci sequence. Um, It happens on a smaller scale, village, community, and then it's predicted to happen on a global scale. Um, That's basically uh, what I think they are trying to describe. Um, It's the same message in almost all religious um material and that applies to hindu christian buddhist um jewish um, and so forth so i'll be addressing all of those in the third module um, as far as um, what the ideas are that you can take away from that information Um, basically um, the message in all of those uh, stories there's one common denominator among all of them and it is the consequences of not minding the law or the rules. Um, That's one note that you might want to write down if you happen to be taking notes, because that's essentially what you'll learn if you take the time to read all of these religious texts, all of these religious books. You go on an existential search for yourself, uh, trying to find out who you are and, and so forth, and trying out different religions. They're essentially going to come down um, to that one uh, one lesson is what you'll find whether it's um, Christian Jewish Muslim Kali Yuga uh, Hindu, Hinduism and things like that um, so in learning that um, there's another point that I wanted to talk about um, when it came to ancient Egypt they were often trying to um, summon gods this is a funny thing or a funny confusion that i think i kind of discerned here Um, because of these recurring um, patterns in time or these recurring fractals uh, they didn't have language for math fibonacci sequences or fractals or returning patterns in nature or in sociology so what i think happened is a lot of this occult stuff um, was the attempt to, um, to summon a god or to give birth to a god or to give birth to a christ or to give birth to a savior um, if I'm not mistaken that's an idea in a lot of occult literature in fact some people who dabble in some really dark stuff may have astrological charts and things like that um, trying to give birth to um, whatever it is they think is going to save them Um, the Antichrist or the Christ or whatever it is Um, but I can tell you that uh, that stuff won't work uh, so far as I know I'll go out on a limb and say that Um, but I can tell you what does summon gods Um, what does summon gods is extremism so if you have um, if you have extreme let's say Catholicism or Hasidic Judaism uh, or Quakers or Jehovah's Witnesses or um, organizations like that that are very disciplined for some people if you're not born and raised in them they're too strict uh, because it'll just be too unnatural for you uh, for a lot of people but what happens is is when you have those extremes of um, of religiosity what happens is is you're basically making uh, incantations for uh, for uh, for your for its opposite or for its complement. So as a complement to Hasidic Judaism or Jehovah's Witnesses or something like the Quakers, you'd have a, a Dionysus type character sort of arise and um, maybe start playing rock and roll or start gyrating his hips on the stage like Elvis Presley or the Beatles or something like that. That's what actually conjures up. Uh, the complement for those extremes, and they will show up. On the other hand, when you have um, extremes of filth, corruption, uh, the word sodomy comes from Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, that's what it is. It's sodomy. It's anal sex, uh, which was condemned at the time. Um, then what happens is is you're basically uh, making incantations for uh, its complement or for some sort of um, you know there's a new sheriff in town that's basically what you're inadvertently doing that's what will inadvertently happen um, and it happens all of the time in cultures communities towns, cities and so forth so that's what happens uh, in all of these religious texts you know, when they start addressing things like reincarnation um, fractals in society and things like that that's what they're attempting to describe but there isn't, um, they're making the mistake of confusing it with potions and dates and having sex at midnight uh, and weird seances and ritual, and that's, that's not really what's, what's the cause for the effect, uh, so to speak. Um, so that's what I wanted to tell you. Um, let's see, what other notes did I have here? Um, oh yeah, even the United States is a refuge from communism, totalitarianism, police states. And uh, freedom from religious and racial slavery. So even the, uh, even the United States was a complement to uh, the communism and totalitarian states out there. Okay, so um, my own personal history I wanted to talk about here so you knew something about myself. Um, first of all, I was one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, that's the community I was born into. That's what I was for the first 20 years of my life. Um, It's a very modest, Bible-based society. Um, At one time, we had 3 million members. uh, They're of all races, all socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, If I had to guess, based on that point in time, I would say we had a felony rate maybe of less than 1%, I would speculate, um, somewhere in that neighborhood. So... um, I would say in retrospect, now that I'm older and wiser and I've surveyed more territory, I can't claim to have surveyed all of it, it's probably one of the most successful um, groups of people that I know of um, in terms of its economics, and in terms of its safety, and in terms of its um, uh, its criminality and its, um, its respect for the law and respect for one another. Um, you won't find anything like out, like it outside of those communities. Um, both my parents were uh, mildly disabled and became greatly disabled later on in life. Uh, my father and my mother divorced when I was young. Um, I stayed with my father and then was transferred back to my mom, and then back to my father for a while. Um, he remarried, and um, it was a runaway from home. And as a teenager went into foster care yada 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 and then um, I was back with my parents and then on my 18th birthday I moved out at midnight when the clock struck midnight my father said you're an adult you can go now and I said goodbye and that was it I didn't talk to him for another five years or something like that so um, I it still remained uh, one of Jehovah's Witnesses at that time and I um, at the time, I was, um, I was hanging out with friends in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is an affluent part of uh, Phoenix, and by the age of 20, I had moved out to Scottsdale. Um, I was working for a sales trainer named Tom Hopkins in Scottsdale, who I had met. I had learned about him by reading his book, How to Master the Art of Selling, and ended up going to work for him after I attended a three-day boot camp seminar that he held in Scottsdale or I took the first place trophy um, from about uh, I don't know maybe eight nine hundred people or something like that that were there competing for it so after that I went to work for him and I worked for him for about a year um, so from that I have some experience with a personal development field um, like really old school that was in 1980 I graduated high school in 1987 I went to work for Tom Hopkins by 1989 I think I was in Scottsdale by 1989 or 1990 something like that but um, all of the old people I, I know of Earl Nightingale um, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale uh, Maxwell Maltz and uh, some of the others in the mid-20s oh in my mid-20s I became fascinated with uh, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming was becoming big at the time, hypnosis, um, cults, advertising, and so on. By that time, I was already intrigued with the idea of genius. That started earlier, right around the ages of 19 or 20. Um, And then around the age of 23, um, I started partying a lot and going out with friends and uh, from their expanded on my, you know, culture and new friends and things like that. At that point, I had ceased being a Jehovah's Witness um, for different reasons, but that's another podcast, and so I'll try to keep things focused on uh, Silver Mano here. Anyway, um, so what happened is, um, so long story short is, um, through a series of events, I ended up in Los Angeles, California, with a friend, and I'm going to skip forward past several years. And when I was working in um, Westlake Village, California, I still had an interest in spirituality and had been reading on these things off and on for years. And I have four uh, people who I have to acknowledge as being uh, very, very important to the epiphany that I had um, recently. And that's in the second module that we'll be doing. I'd, I don't feel 100%, I don't know if you can tell if my voice sounds labored or not, but um, I have a very difficult situation on my hands, like 24 hours a day, so I'm taxed off and on for different reasons, but again, that's another podcast. So um, I had accumulated a number of books, um, Christian, non-Christian, I had dabbled in several things um, and then in the future from this point had explored Buddhism and a number of things, but There's four teachers um, that I wanted to acknowledge in particular, maybe five. Um, One is Ken Wilber. He's a Buddhist teacher who wrote um, Sex Ecology, Spirituality, and uh, a number of other books. He was an extremely popular writer in the mid-90s. That's probably when he peaked as far as popularity is concerned. But um, his books were my first exposure to... Um, uh, bands of consciousness and bands in sociology Um, he also had the AQUAL model which is all quadrants, all levels which gave me a better map for understanding um, how a human being can develop and what those areas are using his model and so you can have a person highly developed in one area but almost no development in another and he defined what those were Um, It's similar to what the Hindu do with the chakras. So with the chakras you have a chakra in the anus, the groin, the stomach, the chest, the throat, the forehead, and then the crown. And what those represent are the one at the anus is territorialism, the one at the groin is a sex drive, the one in the stomach is uh, pleasure or food or sensation, the one in the heart is empathy uh, for yourself, for others. The one in your throat is your speech and what you say. The one in your, at your forehead is your IQ and your intellect and psychological development. And the one at your crown, I believe, is um, your intuition, your karmas, and how you sort of flow with that and how you kind of work with your, um, with, your, with your circumstances. And if I totally botched that, I'm totally sorry, but that's the best I can remember for the seven chakras. That's basically the gist of it. But once you delineate those things, then you can start to um, itemize them and and know where you have value and know where you have deficiencies and work on those things. Um, the second one is um, Dr. David Hawkins. Dr. David Hawkins wrote a very strange book. To wrote a very strange book called um, Power versus Force, which I found in a bookstore. Um, one day and i thought it was the strangest book and i read it and it stayed with me forever to this very day it comes up on a daily basis uh, he was an md and a phd and what he did is um, he wrote a book uh, at, at the level of christian fundamentalism that's something that i would not have recognized had i not read ken Wilber's books first And I recognize that when reading it because he was addressing his readers as though they were Christian fundamentalists. A fundamentalist is somebody who takes the Bible literally. And uh, most people know better than to do that. But he was speaking that way, which I thought was odd because he was so highly educated. I've been interested in, in genius and high IQ since the age of maybe 19. So I knew a genius wouldn't be speaking like that, or an M.D. wouldn't be speaking like that. or a P- He has an M.D. and, I think, a Ph.D. and something else. I don't know. But he's got an M.D. and a Ph.D. And he was a Columbia-trained psychiatrist and a pharmacologist and all that other stuff. And I just thought that was odd. But anyway, what he did is he... Um, he he did something in his book that was kinda remarkable to me at the time which was claiming the ability to calibrate things for truth um, using kinesiology so I got through that part pretty quickly and dismissed it and started looking for something else there something something deeper and sure enough uh, it recently came up again and that was part of my epiphany which will be in the second module but basically, he was claiming that there is a way to distinguish. There is a way to distinguish truth from falsehood, um, and there is. He's right, uh, but it's not kinesiology. Uh, but there are ways to delineate it, and there are degrees of truth, um, and I'll cover that in the second module. Um, the third one is um, uh, that I want to recognize is um, Dr. D- or Dr. Glauberman and um, Paul Sheeley. Dr. Glauberman records audio cassette tapes. I've recommended them before. Uh, they're at the website sobermono.com. Um They're a uh, self-hypnosis cassette tapes. Um, they were my first exposure to the double induction method back when I was in my mid-twenties, and they had a profound effect on me. And um, I still use them occasionally to this day, but I'm um, not able to as consistently as I would like to, and I've got other things interfering um, with their uh, success or utility but you shouldn't have any problems with them but um, I highly recommend them the other one is uh, Paul Sheely and he does something similar with the double induction and he does seminars he has an audio cassette program excuse me that I bought uh, when I was in Westlake Village, California where he talked about enlightenment and enlightenment was something that um, I had been intrigued in and interested in, just like any seeker would be. Yes, I want enlightenment. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche had also said that he wanted the overman to be the, um, the goal of people who read his books or um, were into his philosophy. He thought that mankind should set uh, the overman as a goal for himself um, to accomplish and um, so just like anybody i wanted that that wasn't the reason why i wanted it i hadn't read nietzsche at that time but i did later on and um, what paul scheeley did is he defined it in one of his audio cassette programs as a state of non-hypnosis it's not about going into an altered state or an imagined state but it's a state of non-hypnosis and uh, ken wilber also talks about seeing states before stages Uh, So there is value in uh, mind training and stripping the consciousness down of its perceptions, of its filters, of its biases, and things like that, so that you can see things as they are, uh, without labels. So um, all of those things became absolutely critical. And Oh, there's one more. Uh, It's Nassim Taleb and his idea of anti-fragile, which was a new idea. Um, or perhaps a delineated idea uh, that he wrote into his books and that'll come up uh, in the second module. So it's a, it's a synthesis of um, of these particular teachers um, in particular, uh, their aphorisms and their insights, their aqual models, um, their definitions of enlightenment. Um, I've read all of the books. I used to know the Bible, Back and forth I mean by hand Um, the Dhammapada I know the Gita I know um, I read a few occult books uh, when dabbling around um, and so forth you don't have to read or know everything that isn't the point but it gave me a broad base of knowledge Um, so as of right now I am currently in operation bird dog Um, it's a very taxing immoral uh, satanic uh, project um, I'm not going to go into a lot of personal details here about myself because I'm going to try to keep those things separate but this becomes relevant uh, and it became relevant in it in a way I didn't see coming it's totally unexpected um, I'm currently in a captive situation using technology that people now I know call cyber uh, I used to call it Skynet I didn't know what to call it I had never known it existed um, but in this project, there's hyenas, uh, uh, police contempt, there's sexual assault, um, there's uh, idolatry of criminal insanity, there's she devils, there's narcissism, there's contempt of courts and due process. Uh, there's 40,000 years, I calculated, that has been misspent by the she devils and devils in this country. Uh, people who flout the law and things like that if this sounds like a religious um, podcast I super apologize it's not about religion at all those are just metaphors and by the end of the third module uh, you're going to be a changed human being I guarantee you Um, but that's basically what's happened in Operation Bird Dog Um, both my parents my natural parents have passed away Um, there were nonverbal signs around them uh, empty water bottles and other nonverbal paraphernalia that was left around them. At the time, I was in Phoenix working as a window washer, and uh, this is when Operation Bird Dog it started to creep up on me, and I was becoming sensitized to magazines, newspapers, movies, and the messages in them. Not the verbal messages, other messages that you have to be taught how to see and read. And um, I didn't take those things too seriously that were around my father. Um, and so on but sure enough uh, there's insinuations of torture and uh, some other things around him uh, that he may have passed away painfully uh, and that that was uncalled for and unnecessary and that he was innocent of anything going on he doesn't have anything to do with myself I for myself don't have any serious felonies in my background I do have one or two mistakes that are significant but they're resolved and um, again that's another podcast so that happened Um, my mom who is 63 years old and frail i mean she weighs probably 100 pounds soaking wet um, she spent her life in a um, in a facility because her mental health problems became so severe she passed out and she fell forward this was the second time uh, in about two weeks and the second time was bad Uh, she fell forward and she knocked out the front teeth uh her she knocked out her forefront teeth and um she cracked a bone in her in her neck and so they took her to the hospital and um she died shortly thereafter i think about a week later or something like that so um those are the sort of things that you don't want to hear about or see insinuations about um that people had something to do with or messages showing up in magazines and newspapers implying Uh, that they have something to do with that or people making fun of it in Hollywood and so forth and that has happened so um, that's Operation Burdock for you Um, just so you guys know my name is Titus Anderson that's the name that I was given by my parents it is now Titus Nietzsche Anderson that is a nickname that was given to me I think by somebody in Hollywood they started calling me Nietzsche oh I don't know over I'm going to say 10 years ago or something like that and it didn't really stick at first but now it has and i have since then added it onto my name formally and it's uh titus nietzsche anderson although i didn't get all the paperwork in at the court to do it because they stuck me with a bill at the at the end it was kind of a surprise but anyway it's now titus nietzsche anderson because um it's kind of become a part of who i am there's um That's taken on a new significance lately. Um, We're going to go into the second module. I'm going to go take a break and uh, drink some tea for my voice and try to get through all three of these modules this evening and I've got to charge up the laptop um, so that the battery doesn't go out. I have a difficult time finding places to record and I'm in a park uh, in Los Angeles recording so I'm going to go charge up and we'll get ready for the second part. That is the first part. Those are the things that you need to know um, about the Overman and uh, Silvermano, And that will wrap it up. I will be back. All right. Take care.